Hi, I'm Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton, and you're listening to Single High, a Notre Dame football podcast from UHND.com, the official home of the Kyle Hamilton fan club. And Greg Hello, everyone, and welcome to Single High, a Notre Dame football podcast brought to you by UHND.com. I am your host, Greg Flamong, and uh, for the second time this season, Single High has forced to go single high. There's just one of us on the show. Uh, Frank had something come up last minute, uh, which happens when you have uh, children, you have a regular job uh, that isn't this podcast. So, um, it's just going to be me today. I'm going to fill in for him just like he filled in for me uh, a couple weeks ago. And so I'm going to give some, uh, first thoughts on the, on the game last weekend. Uh, you've heard me probably on, uh, on hit and hustle a couple of times on the, on the reaction show, instant reaction show morning after recap and our Tuesday show. Hopefully you've caught us there on our YouTube channel. Uh, but if you haven't, then I can, I can share my thoughts right now on the game. Obviously it was a great, uh, outcome for Notre Dame to win 45 to 24 on the road in um, the first te- the first game against a team that could beat them. Uh, we talked about it last week. They can uh, NC State had a, a good enough team to where if Notre Dame uh, wasn't sharp, didn't have their uh, didn't have their game together, the coaching staff didn't have a good plan for the team, and uh, they weren't executing on you know I don't want to say all cylinders, but 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 on, on a high level of play then uh, NC State could have caught them, right? And they, and they could have given them a, a really hard game. Notre Dame responded to a number of challenges, uh, first of which was from the NC State team themselves. Uh, their defense was stout, to say the least. They were aggressive. I think Marcus Freeman even pointed out that they were much more aggressive than uh, I think the team was ready for initially. And, uh, you know, that can happen in football, right? We, we like to think that, that that doesn't happen. We like to think that they come out and they're ready to meet every single challenge when that challenge presents itself. Um, but they're college kids. You've got players like Pat Coogan and Rocco Spindler starting their first ACC games on the road against a very good defensive line, a very good defensive front, and with uh, what people are saying is a very good defensive coordinator in Tony Gibson. So they started slow, uh, and then they dealt with the, the two-hour rain delay Lightning delay for the second time. Every time they play in NC State, it's got to be a huge problem. Dealt with that. They ate a bunch of brats, ate a bunch of hot dogs, and came out and uh, looked much better after the delay. Uh, Put up 45 points on a defense that didn't give up uh, 40 points at all last year. I think it had been been 16 or 17 games where they hadn't given up 30-plus points. 
So very good performance um, and outcome by the Notre Dame offense. The defense looked very, very good with the exception of a couple of drives, um, at least the starters. Um, one was penalty laden. One featured a, a, an explosive play against Cam Hart. Beyond that, Notre Dame was, was very good defensively. Um, and in the biggest drive of the game, uh, after that Sam Hartman fumble, uh, when Notre Dame was leading 24 to 17, they stood up, forced a field goal attempt that uh, NC State ended up missing. And then Notre Dame went down and scored. And that essentially, well, not, they didn't uh, immediately go down and score. It was 24 to 17. They lost the ball. Now they had to punt it away. Defense got the ball back. And then Notre Dame went and scored. And once it was 31 17, the game was effectively over. So uh, I would say a good performance from Notre Dame on that front. And I think. A main takeaway for me, and I've said it on basically every show, is how the staff was prepared for, A, defensively, their plan coming into the game was phenomenal. Al Golden was was spying on Brennan Armstrong. He wasn't going to let him be the one to beat his defense. He wasn't going to let him get outside the pocket. He wasn't going to let him freelance around there and create plays out of out of broken plays, uh, off-platform, and that sort of thing. He wasn't going to allow for that. He was going to make him work in the pocket. He was disguising coverages. He was disguising robbers. He was dropping safeties into, into deep middle when it looked like they were going to be robbers. The robber was sitting in the middle of the field when it looked like he was going to be a deep safety. Maris Leofau was an absolute monster in this game. We saw... Howard Cross have a great game. We saw Riley Mills have a great game. And they were prepared to play well. All three safeties were phenomenal. Ben Morrison, again, comes up with an interception. Uh, almost comes up with another interception on a really nice play by the entire defense when um, when NC State tried to throw a wide receiver pass off of a, off of a speed, off of a, a jet sweep action. So that's really good for them. And I think we saw we – saw the organization in the back as well. There were so many moving parts for the secondary, very easy. And I think we can all imagine that there are other coaches who have coached for Notre Dame, not recently, right? Notre Dame has been very organized in the back recently, but I hate to invoke the BVG, the Brian Van Gorder. If his defense saw a jet sweep action, you know, that receivers running free and you didn't see that from Notre Dame. You didn't see uh, you didn't see players running free in the secondary. Very organized, well coached unit. The offense, you know, the, maybe the plan originally wasn't the best, but then Jared Parker adjusted and he got his players ready to go. He had those guys, uh, he had those guys in good spots, and that's what you want. You want that more than anything. You want your coaches to put the players in a good position to succeed. You want them to, you want to, you want the coaches to give them the best chance possible to be successful. And then, the, and for then the players to pay that off by playmaking, by execution. And that's exactly what we saw. NC state had no answer for the tight end out of the backfield, both the Holden stays and the Davis Sherwood scoring a touchdown. Uh, and then you get the tight end, uh, tight end drag, where Holden stays, gets behind the defense. Sam Hartman throws the ball uh, in the space. Holden stays, runs to the space, scores a touchdown to make it forty-five to seventeen. 
We saw another two-minute drive by Notre Dame where Sam Hartman leads them down the field. Obviously, on a broken play, he hits Chris Tyree. Um, eyes stay down the field, right? You you want to see eyes eyes up. Hits Chris Tyree down the sideline, and Chris Tyree makes a great play, and he ends up throwing maybe his best pass of the season to Jaden Greathouse on the on the post um, over the linebacker in front of the safety. It's a great throw, and it's a really good uh, really good performance from him again, even though he struggled at times. Um, on the negative side, I think we, we saw some some spotty play from the offensive line, especially the guards, especially uh, Rocco Spindler had a couple of rough moments. He also had some really good moments. So for him, it was up and down, right? It wasn't it wasn't all good and it wasn't all bad, right? He had some up and down plays. He had some plays where he looked straight up dominant. He had some other plays where it's like he looked kind of lost out there. Right. And that's that's going to be part of the maturation process. And the thing that you want is you want that maturation process to occur while you're accumulating wins. And that's exactly what happened here. Right. So it's no surprise. I thought Zeke Carell had a tough game. You know, Pat Coogan, I thought, was actually pretty good. Um, we, we lump him in with, you know, he's one of the two new guards. I thought he was pretty good. I thought Blake Fisher was OK. He had a couple of rough moments as well. And he's going to want to work on that. Joe Alt was absolutely dominant, and that's been posted on Twitter, not just by me, but by others as well. People in the NFL scouting industry talking about this might be his best run blocking game he's ever had. So that's important. Um, and then we, you know, that that's that's how that went. I thought Marcus Freeman. This is a great, great example of his operation. You know, dealing with the delay, dealing with a team. That you know, you don't know you don't know how they're going to react, especially offensively, with a new coordinator. How they're going to react to that kind of delay? He obviously had them ready to go. He had them. He had them prepared. He had a good plan. He had a good plan coming in. It's a great performance from him using the timeouts before the halftime. You know, it's. If you know, we talk about how he is a. Uh, New head coach, right? First time head coach last year. And he's using his timeouts in the first three weeks in a masterful way with a clear plan. Just because you, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be so results oriented that you don't notice the fact that, that, you know, if, if it didn't work out, well, it was a bad idea to use the timeouts. No, it was a good idea to use the timeouts. He, he knew he wanted to get the ball back. Possessions are very important in football, right? I think that we don't say it enough, but I think everyone understands that. Possessions are very important in football, and he wanted to steal a possession. I'm going to call the timeouts when they've got the ball inside the red zone because they have three timeouts. There's no way they're running out of time, and they're in no hurry. And Notre Dame's in a hurry. So he says, I'm going to call the timeouts. And then you juxtapose that with Dave Doran, Using timeouts in the second half to punt. Okay. He's been doing this for a long time. He's been he's been coaching games for a long time. Been a head coach. And he's using timeouts to call punts. That's terrible. It's no good. And Notre Dame's second year head coach is using the timeouts in a masterful way. And I think that says a lot. I think that says a lot for him. I think that says a lot for his team, for his operation, his staff. 
And so I, th that's my main takeaway from this game is that the staff, the Notre Dame staff, put their players in the best position to succeed on offense and on defense and with Brian, with, uh, with Marcus Freeman's decision-making. And, uh, and that's, that's a really good sign for Notre Dame this year, but also beyond and Marcus Freeman being a head coach. Um, so yeah, with that, we're going to get to questions. We've got a lot of questions today. Uh, Frank put out the bat signal. And so we, we've got some questions here and I'm going to get to them. Uh, not as they came in because, uh, we're just going to go top to bottom here. But we'll get to everybody. All right. First question from Vamos Irish from Oscar. This is his first one. Much is said of the sack numbers not being there, but it's okay because, oh, quote, but it's okay because of who they played, how they affected the game. Is this game more of the same or does the quarterback go down lots? I think, I think he means this game as in Central Michigan. Here's, here's what I'll say about the sacks. When, when you're getting pressure and the other team ends up throwing three interceptions and the defense has eight pass breakups, then you'll take it, right? If you're forcing them to get rid of the ball and they're putting the ball into dangerous areas, then you're fine. That's the point of pressure is A, you get sacks, and B, you make them do things that are advantageous to you and disadvantageous to them, right? So it's not that I think it's okay that they only got one sack, right? Like there was a play where um, Jordan Botelho had a chance for a sack and he missed the quarterback, right? And it ended up hurt. It didn't end up hurting them because he scrambled in Notre Dame and just um, tackled him. He missed an opportunity for a sack on that play. But generally speaking, they, they didn't have a lot of misses. It's just that they put him in positions that he didn't want to be in. And so if Notre Dame plays Ohio State and they don't accumulate a ton of sacks, but they force a bunch of dangerous throws and, uh, you know, they, they put the quarterback into dangerous positions and Notre Dame ends up, uh, you know, turning the ball over a bunch and, um, you know, they, they, uh, they force the quarterback into bad decisions. Well, then that's going to be fine, right? That'll be fine. That Notre Dame will take that. The team will take that. And so to me, it's just how are you getting pressure and are you forcing the quarterback into bad decisions? If that manifests itself in sacks, if that manifests itself into intentional groundings, fumbles, uh, interceptions, passes broken up, throwaways, it gets your it gets the defense off the field, you know. Like what's three sacks or three interceptions, you know? Like if 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 you substitute sacks for interceptions, like what would you rather have? You'd rather have the ball. So that's where it kind of helps, right? I mean, he's throwing the ball. Notre Dame gets the ball in plus territory two times in the second half, and they end up scoring touchdowns, and they go up. You know, they end up going up from thirty-one seventeen to forty-five seventeen. And all of a sudden, you're blowing them out. So that's why, um, that's why it, uh, that's why I, it's not that I don't care or I don't think it's like important that Notre Dame gets sacks. Like, of course it does, right? If you have a chance at a sack, you want to get it, but it also matters that, um, 
you know, you're pressuring the quarterback. Notre Dame had 21 pressures on this game. Or I think it was maybe 24 pressures. You had 24 pressures in this game. It's a lot of pressures. You know, you're 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 pressuring the quarterback a good amount. So um, I think that'll work out just fine. The second part of Oscar's question, I had to look it up. What position group is best suited to perform via glizzy consumption? Improve performance via glizzy consumption, worse suited. Um, I looked this up because I didn't know what that meant, glizzy. It's basically a hot dog. Um, I guess, I guess you could have to say running backs, right? Um, Audric Estime eats a hot dog, goes and runs for 80 yards. Maybe the running backs are fine. I would say maybe that maybe the maybe the D line doesn't need it, right? Maybe they you want them to stay hungry. That's what you want. You don't you don't want the D line. You know you don't want them full. You want them hungry. So I would say. Give it to the running backs. Save the D-line. Don't need it. Don't need it. Uh, Oscar, another question. The state of Michigan looks like a mitten. What food is best eaten when wearing a mitten and without using utensils? I was thinking about this. And something I've done. So a mitten to me is like, you know, it has no fingers, right? So I think you want it to be something that's hot, but not something that's necessarily messy. I'm going to go with, so like barbecue is out, like barbecue, like something loud. So like ribs, no, because you, you don't want the, the barbecue sauce all over the mitten. You want it in your mouth, right? You don't want the barbecue sauce falling off somewhere. But I mean, you do want something that's hot. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with barbecue chicken, not slathered in barbecue sauce, but or maybe grilled chicken, maybe some steak. Right? Burnt ends. Let's do that. Right? Hot. You want it to be hot. Um, with I was ham. So like a ham, right? Like sometimes you get that good ham steak, you cut it. You don't want to cut it, just pick it up and eat it. The ham stuff, the the the, the juices, if that if that gets on the mitten, then that's fine. Right? So that's what I would say. That's what I'm gonna go with there. Thank you for the questions, Oscar. Really appreciate it. Drew Brennan asks, obviously the safety in uh, nickel place has been pretty good across Watts, Henderson, Brown, and Harper. Are you surprised that Carter has not seen the field more? Do you think the staff tries to get him a lot of playing time this weekend against CMU? I don't think they try to get him involved in that they they feel like it's important. I think they he might get involved because of the, the, the situation in the game. Um, I think you want those three guys – uh, you those are the three guys that they're the main guys. So you want them ready to go and you want them working well together. And we saw against uh, against NC State, the benefit of those players. Being able to work together and, and having a cohesion there and the problems that that can cause for the offense. And that's where Carter, I think, is just behind. He hasn't been playing with those guys for as long. I would say luckily for him. He has multiple years to play. Um, I think he's looked fine when he's been in the game. So, you know, if one of these safeties, the DJ Brown's moving on after this year, I think, I think, I think Antonio Carter can play that spot. I absolutely think he can play that spot. Right. But you know, it just takes time for him. And so look, if, if one of those guys goes down, he's, he's going to be asked to step in and uh, we'll see how that goes. But I don't think Notre Dame staff's going to go out of their way to try to get him in there. Um, maybe a little bit. 
you know, maybe a little bit to uh, like when the game is a little bit more out of reach, you throw them in there and say, hey, work with the other two. Let's right. So I think that could be a good opportunity for him. So that's a good question from Drew. Uh, Robert Halicki. Thanks for thanks for being on the show again, Robert. Hi, fellas. Sam has done an uh, awesome job distributing the ball, but I'm still concerned with wide receivers and how or if they can be an impact against OSU and USC. Is that reasonable since we're quarter of the way through the season? What do you guys consider a positive indicator it can be it can improve? What I would say to an indicator is he's completing, I think, around high 70%. Let me just look it up. He's completing an insane um, number of his passes. So when he's throwing it to whoever he's throwing it to, he's very efficient. You know, it, it's not like he's he's completed 75% of his passes. He's averaging 11.4 yards per attempt. 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. So an indicator to me is like when they've tried, whenever they've tried to throw the ball, when they throw it, it's to someone who's open and they're making the play. That's an indicator to me. Now, to whether or not it's fair to uh, be concerned, sure. Because, because you know, and, and I put it on Twitter today, you know, they, they tried a deep shot to Jaden Thomas. And it's a great ball by Hartman. And, and it's a tough catch. I'm not going to say, you know, it's like a, you know, you're catching a hitch route, right? It's a tough catch, shoulder to the shoulder. Um, it's a deep ball. It's hard to track. But it's a play that a top wide receiver needs to be able to make. You know, and in a big game, when when you're playing a good team, the, the you're not going to have the type of windows, you know, the type of room that maybe you would have against NC State. You're going to have to make some contested catches, right? Haven't seen a ton of those, but, you know, it, the, when they've had opportunities, they've made plays, just generally speaking. So, you know, are you right to be concerned? I think that's fair because we haven't seen it from, we haven't seen it from Tobias, certainly. He hasn't had the opportunities um, in, in a big game now, right? Like, made a great play in um in this game and he also made a very key third down catch that got wiped out by uh offensive interference so th those are two positive things from him in this game but you know we haven't seen it from him against a usc or an ohio state or a clemson for that matter right so that remains to be seen obviously the same thing with the freshman um we've seen it from well, frankly we have seen it from Deion colsey right he had a great game against usc last year uh so you know that's that's not nothing right that's something so and uh, we've seen Jaden Thomas make plays as well. So I think, you know, you lean on what you saw from Jaden Thomas and Deion Colsey last year. And and you just say to yourself that the guys are going to be presented with opportunities and you just hope that they they come up with the, with the plays that they need in that spot. So thanks for the question, Robert. Mike Menard, 12. Do you think the Bayless exit had something to do with Freeman getting a fresh approach to this team and getting his stamp on all aspects? I just wonder if you've heard anything suggesting that his departure was more of a suggestion by Freeman than we were led to believe. Um, that is something I have not heard. The second part of that question, I've not heard that. I, I don't think that Marcus Freeman was looking to change his strength coach, at especially at that point at all. So I haven't heard that. Um, 
I did say to uh, Tyler Wojak, who who runs the uh, Locked On Irish account, uh, he he has that podcast and YouTube show. I did say to him, I think I don't think it was on a pod. It might have been on a pod because I've been a guest on his pod a couple of times, but it might have just been in text. Like I do think that there is benefit, and this had more. To, this had nothing to do with Bayless, so it's kind of this is aside from Bayless because this was. When Bayless left, but I think it like Bayless didn't apply to this because I don't think he was part of what needed to go. But I think it was a benefit to to Freeman to have his own guys on the staff when Tommy Reese and uh, Harry Heastan left. You know, those guys are great coaches in a vacuum, right? They're great coaches. But like, is it better for Marcus Freeman to have his own crew in there? And I think that might be true. You know, I think that might be the case. There, or there might be a benefit to that that's greater than the loss of experience with those two guys. Maybe that's a better way to say it. I don't think it had to do with Bayless. You know, like whatever happened with Bayless, in my opinion, is just and you know, I obviously work for ISD, so it's it's a little bit like I, I'm I'm more capable of getting kind of inside info than I would if, if when I was just working at UHND. Um, but the way that ISD handles these things is once it's determined that it wasn't football related and ISD is reported, it wasn't a football related thing and there's nothing nefarious there as far as with the university or any of that. Like once that's determined, if it's personal from there, then we just kind of, drop it and and i drop it like i don't even ask about it right because it just doesn't they're not going to tell me and I, it doesn't because even if i knew i I, w- I wouldn't talk about it so and i don't know so i that's why i don't ask because i don't want to know because something can slip out like I, I i so i don't know what happened or whether he just wanted to do it or whatever i i don't know it's uh it, it's not something that i've looked into so but to answer the question i don't think that uh I don't think Marcus Freeman was looking to move on at all. So um, that's how I feel about that. Um, Chris Jenkins asked, after the NC State game, just how good is the defense? Seems like they were off on but started rolling the second half. Not trying to look ahead but playing Navy, uh, Tennessee State, then NC State and Central Michigan this weekend. Do you think it gets the team rolling and ready for Ohio State? It could. I mean, how good is the defense? I mean, let's just, what have we seen from them, right? They're organized in the back. They haven't given up really explosives at all, okay? They gave up a long pass um, to NC State. That's a diving catch with Cam Hart standing right next to the receiver, you know? It's a great catch. Like, are there little things? Like, is is Mike Mickens going to critique some of the technique by Cam Hart on that play? Absolutely, yes. But from a practical standpoint, it's just a great play. Kid makes a diving catch, right? It's a great throw. Cam Hart's standing right there. We haven't seen explosives. We haven't seen blown assignments. We've seen, you know, we knew that they'd have a good secondary. We've seen that. I think we thought they they would be deep on the defensive line. We've seen that. We've seen multiple players on the defensive line. No one's been able to run on them. I mean, Brennan Armstrong's running all over the place. He did it against uh, he did it in the opener against UConn. Ran for almost a hundred yards. 
or over just over 100 yards. He ran a ton in 2021 at uh, at Virginia, right? So he he can run the ball on anybody. Didn't run the ball on Notre Dame. Long run of nine, you know. Um, so look, they've been they've been good in all facets. Now, I think it's natural to ask, what happens when you play Ohio State, one of the better offensive players from an individual standpoint and systems that they're going to see? Yeah, I mean it's going to get more difficult, especially so against USC. Right. I mean, you can play the exact same way against USC. Caleb Williams is just a different animal than Brandon Armstrong. Okay. He just is. He's a different problem. And uh, he does present problems. Right. So that's something that the team is going to have to, they're going to have to adjust to that. Right. So just how good, you know, we, we always, we always judge these teams based on, you know, how they do against their best competition, right? They have, they've shown, they've shown the ability to like, if you aren't going to be a high octane offense, then you're going to have problems against us, you know, which is interesting against a team like Duke, right? When you, when you look away from the big three, I mean, is, is Clemson even in the big three anymore? I don't know, but maybe Duke's the big three, but like Duke is the kind of offense that, that Notre Dame had showed against NC State that, like, hey, you know, we can we can do really well against this kind of offense. Now, Riley Leonard's probably a better quarterback than um, than Brennan Armstrong is. Okay, Mike Elko is certainly a better coach than Dave Doran is, or at least it's, it appears to be that way. So that's going to be a different kind of test. But you know, in my opinion. Do I think do I think it gets the team ready for Ohio State? I mean, it needs to, and that's Marcus Freeman's job. This is the schedule is what it is, and you have to plan and you have to prepare the team to peak against Ohio State in a couple of weeks. That's his that's his job, right? That's what he needs to do, right? So whether or not it will, he can't. He has to take what's available to him and create the best team possible the best performance possible and get them ready to play at their best against Ohio state, you know? And what I would say is it's a lot easier for him to do that in this situation than it was last year. When you have a lead up, you know, you can, you can build into something rather than you just show up first day. And it's like, okay, you're going to the horseshoe. Good luck. You know, we wish you the best kind of thing, right? That's difficult in my opinion. So he's much more, uh, you know, set up to do that. So uh, thanks for the question there. Uh, Chris, Jack O'Sullivan asks, Jack, Jack O'Sullantern, fun, fun name there, fun username. Uh, the defense seems to have a lot more complexity built in, and it showed in the first real text of the season. Is this Al Golden settling into his second season, or is this a result of having a lot of upperclassmen returning talent in the secondary and at linebacker? Uh, I'll answer the the first or the second question, or the second part of it. Is it the result of having a lot of upperclassmen returning talent? I would say yes. First of all, um, to answer the to kind of address the first part, is it settling in? I, I would say it definitely is settling in. 
for one. So absolutely, yes. As far as the complexity, to be honest, it's not that complex. And this, I guess this goes to the second part of the question because it's not that complex as long as everyone understands as long as everyone understands the rules and their roles, right? That's the complex part. Like the actual, the way the defense functions is fairly simple, right? It's complex to the, to the offense because they don't know who is doing what, who is responsible for what. They don't know what the checks are. So when they send in motion, they don't know what that is triggering for the defense and the way that the defense is responding to, to the motion, right? So they don't know that you send a receiver in motion from trips to uh, a two by two look with at the wide receiver spot. They don't know that that means that Ramon Henderson is now robbing and Xavier Watts is playing man. And they don't know that that means that DJ Brown is now shading the other side of the formation and Ramon Henderson is robbing that that side, the other side of the formation, right? Like they don't know that. So for them, that's very confusing. But for the offense, I mean for the defense, it's not very complex as far as what you have to do. You know, it, the only thing that really changes is for for DJ Brown, the side that I'm shading to, that changes. And Ramon Henderson went from a, a man defender to a robber defender. And Xavier Watts went from a robber defender to a man defender. That's not very complex. It's not a lot of moving parts, but for the offense, it appears to be. Now, what you need into the to the second half of Jack's question that I think applies here is that you do need players that understand, that can communicate that, right? That's the whole sort of thing that you do in practice. You walk through it. It's literally, they will spend 20 minutes with the call of just walking through when this guy goes in motion, what do you do? And when this guy, let's say they send this guy in motion, right? They just, they, they will send people in motion that you may not see in a game because they need the defense to be able to say, when they are in this formation, who do you have and what is your responsibility? And when they send them over here, what are, who do you have and what is your responsibility? What if they put the back on this side? Who do you have and what? They do that. Every day. And it's literally just standing around. No one's running, right? There's no physical exertion. It's just who do you have and what do you do when they line up this way? Right? And that is where upper and returning talent comes in because their heads aren't swimming at that point. They understand the call. They understand what, what the defense is. And so now it's just adjusting to motion and that sort of thing. So, so to answer the question, it is absolutely the result of having upperclassmen and returning talent in the secondary. Absolutely, yes. And that's why it's so difficult for safeties, especially, to play early because these are the things that you got to get on, right? And that's why Antonio Carter, he's an older player, but he hasn't been in this defense, right? And he's playing with a bunch of guys who have. Because look, everything I just said, nothing changes for Ben Morrison. Nothing changes for Cam Hart at corner. They're doing the same thing. I'm just in man. It's the safeties that are changing, right? So that's what's uh, that's what's important there. It's a good question from Jack. 
and a good uh, good uh, kind of conclusion that he kind of comes to himself there. So that's good. Uh, Clutch Sports ND says, could Jaden Greyhouse be considered wide receiver one, or should he at least see more playing time? He catches everything thrown his way, tied for the team lead in touchdown catches, and is only uh, 15 yards shy of the leading receiver, despite playing a fraction of the snaps. What I would say is, could he be considered wide receiver one? No. No. That is much more responsibility. It just, there's much more on your plate, right? We would view him different if it was like, he has to, he has to perform in this game rather than, because the thing people need to understand about Jaden Thomas is like his role beyond being a wide receiver is so much bigger. I mean, I put, I put it on Twitter today, like there, Notre Dame is running counter and Jaden Thomas is one of the lead blockers into the hole as if he was a guard or a tight end or something. Like that is, that is so much responsibility, so much physical responsibility, and picking up the right player on a pole. Like that is wide receiver one. He sets the example. Now Jaden Greyhouse is is kind of hurt by the fact that he plays inside. So if Notre Dame has two tight ends on the field, then his position isn't really out there. They don't really have a slot out there if there's two tight ends on the field, right? They have so the receivers are they have the field player, which is either Tobias or Rico Flores. That's why you'll see Rico Flores with more snaps than Jane Greyhouse, like as you saw in this game. Rico Flores at 17, Greyhouse at 12, because he can be out there in two tight end sets, but Jane Greyhouse can't because he's a slot guy, right? But when Notre Dame is throwing, who are they throwing it to, right? They're throwing it to Jane Greyhouse. So as long as whenever he's in the game that they're throwing and they're throwing it to him, it doesn't matter. Because, look, what's the difference? Let's say they put him in for – let's say they had him out there in the Rico Flores spot or the Tobias spot. And it's like, yeah, we, we'll, let's have him out there, right? No problem. And he's – instead of 12 snaps, he's in for 30 snaps. Well, if Notre Dame isn't – passing anymore if he isn't in as many passing snaps well then what's the difference you know it, you're you're as long as they're throwing it to him is kind of how i see it uh, and now at this point in his career right and then maybe you build right but as long as he's producing i think it's fine and the other thing is like he's doing well in his role but other players have roles to play as well so I would say they deserve the opportunity. I don't think anyone's shown that they shouldn't have an opportunity. So I think it's important to, to keep that in mind. Uh, Peter Smith asks, okay, after another week of seeing things play out, are we more nervous about facing Duke than Clemson? No, I'm not more nervous. I would say, if anything, I'm becoming... Clemson is getting closer to Duke than I think Duke is going to Clemson. Like, I don't think that Duke is like dangerous. Like, and, and the team, I don't think the team is going to overlook Duke. Like if they did, then that's terrible. Like they really should not based on the way that things have played out. Like Duke is, Duke was clearly good in the preseason. Like they were clearly going to be a tough matchup in the preseason. And now they've beaten Clemson at home where Notre Dame has to play them. Like if they're not 
mentally clued into that game, then that's a that's a problem. That's a real problem. Okay. I think they will be mentally clued into the game. So I think that's fine. But I don't I, I'm not any more worried about Duke or Clemson. Um I, I just when I watched that game when they played each other, I just I wasn't really impressed with either of them. Like, wow, this is a, like a truly high level of play that's going on here. So that's what would scare me. If either team looked so good that it was like, man, this is, you got to, you got to really bring it. Like if Notre Dame plays well, they'll beat both of these teams. Um, you know, obviously it's on the road and that sort of thing. And there's, there comes a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff with that, but um you know, if Notre Dame plays well, they should beat both of those teams. They, 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 I did not see anything from them that makes me think they have a level that's higher than Notre Dame's. Um, uh, another question from Peter Smith here. Food, pick them. Corned beef sandwich or pastrami sandwich? Uh, I'm going to go with pastrami. I just, I like it better. I like, I just think it's, um, I just think it's better, man. I, I you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I've, I've, well, I don't know. I guess it's kind of the same. I, I guess, I guess I'm more of a pastrami guy. You know, I am. It's close. You eat them both on rye bread, the rye with the, with the nice, uh, with the nice mustard and a pickle. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, pastrami easier, easier to go on like something else, like a burger or something. Um, so I would say that's true, but I don't know. I have love for both. It's hard to say, but if I had to choose, you put them in front of me, I would take the strong sandwich. Uh, last one from Peter. Uh, seeing Notre Dame cast off, stinking it up at the SEC. Is this just a crazy trap to help out Notre Dame? Uh, applying my tinfoil hat. Uh, I think referring to Tommy Reese at, uh, at Alabama, maybe Brian Kelly at LSU. I don't think it's a trap. Um, but it is interesting. It is interesting to monitor. Uh, Tommy Reese, once again, has a mobile quarterback who has a penchant for throwing it to the other team when he really should not, and he really should know better. I've said it a number of times, Tommy Reese, for whatever reason, cannot get his quarterbacks to see things the way that he sees them. I think he, he, I think he really has a mind for calling plays and designing plays and for whatever reason he just can't get his guys to um to see it how he sees it so uh that's going to do it for the questions uh notre dame's got central michigan coming up uh spoiler alert they're not very good uh their they've their quarterback is okay he's a, he's a, he's mobile but he's not a really good thrower um and I, I think we saw last week. That, I mean, he's basically a worse version of Brennan Armstrong, in my opinion. Um, he might be a better runner than Brennan Armstrong in terms of just like sheer foot speed, but I just I don't see much from them. They do have a good defensive tackle who could present some problems for you know the guys inside. But Notre Dame should be able to do whatever they want. I mean, look, they're favored by five touchdowns. Um. And I, I just don't think that this is going to be much of a game. If it was me, though, I wouldn't be. Uh, unlike the Tennessee State game, I'm not itching to see backups in this game. I mean, in terms of like Notre Dame plays a lot of players. If you're in the regular rotation, that's fine, right? But I'm not itching to see Steve Angeli in this game 
or like Kenny Minchie or anything like that. I, I want Notre Dame's team to be fit and ready for Ohio State. You know, to get to a question earlier, you know, is this a good prep for Ohio State? I think you stay sharp. You stay, you, you, you get your guys out there for as long as possible, for as long as it makes sense. Uh, I don't, I don't want people, I, I don't want Notre Dame trying to get guys a bunch of rest. I think they need to be sharp. I think they need game reps. Game reps are much more important than practice reps um, for everyone. And that includes Sam Hartman. I know he's been in college for a long time, but you want, you want the game reps and, and, uh, and that makes a lot more sense to me. And I think that's what Notre Dame should uh, should look to do. So um, I think Notre Dame is going to blow them out. I think it's going to be something along the lines of, um, I don't know, 48 to 10 maybe, right? I think Central Michigan might get a touchdown on them in a field goal, but it, it'll be something along those lines. I think Notre Dame is going to keep rolling. I think they're, I think they're going to be ready to play this game. And uh, I think they're going to be then itching to uh, get to the big one against Ohio State. So, um, yeah, so that's going to do it. I was hoping to get it to an hour, but I couldn't. It just didn't make sense. Or it didn't. I just didn't get there. Frank owns me in that regard. So good job by him to, uh, to go an hour on these things. Uh, I couldn't do it. But uh, we're going to be back hopefully next week, right? Uh, I, I only thought it would happen once, but it's happened a second time. So, uh, look, if, if it's gotta be a solo show next time, then hopefully there's enough time for me to get a guest on here and we, we can talk. Uh, I can talk with that person about Notre Dame football and, uh, and that sort of thing. So thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back next week. I'll be back next week with Frank, hopefully, and, uh, enjoy the game this weekend. Enjoy, uh, the your Saturday, your football Saturday, not a great slate of games, but hey, college football is college football. So have a great weekend, and uh, hopefully we we'll next see a nice Irish victory, and uh, go Irish. <laughs>